to the summer of Seuss. Uh, it is an exciting day uh, because we're starting this. And listen, let me just give you a little insight uh, to why we're doing Summer of Seuss, uh, why we're talking about Dr. Seuss books. Number one, um, we want to have fun here. We like having fun. Dr. Seuss is fun. Number two, I really like Dr. Seuss. And as the pastor, I get to do some things that I want to do sometimes. Um, and number three, when you read Dr. Seuss books, there is some truth in these books, right? There is some, some like, I, I love reading to my boys, and uh, as, as we're reading some of these Dr. Seuss books, I'm just like, man, that'll preach right there, right? I mean, you read a line, and it's like, what is that? And, uh, and sometimes it's the whole book. Sometimes it's just a one-liner. Um, so, for example, like, Horton Hears a Who. We're not actually going to talk about Horton Hears a Who, although we do have Horton over there. Look at Horton. Isn't he cute? Um, we're going to talk about, or Horton Hears a Who. In Horton Hears a Who, there's a line that says, a person's a person no matter how small, right? That's truth. Like, regardless of the source, that is some truth. A person is a person no matter how small because God created us. And so um, we could do a whole series on that. Well, one of my favorite Dr. Seuss books is called Fox and Socks. Anybody ever read Fox and Socks? All right. So there is some deep theological truth in Fox and Socks. You ready for this? These are the last couple of lines in this book. All right. It says, when Tweedle Beetles fight, it's called a Tweedle Beetle battle. And when they battle in a puddle, it's called a Tweedle Beetle puddle battle. And when Tweedle Beetles battle with paddles in a puddle, they call it a Tweedle Beetle puddle paddle battle, right? Deep truth. I made it. I made it. I made it through it. I didn't make it through and run through. Um, so, uh, no, some of them are just nonsense, right? Obviously, uh, but they're still fun. And so we like to read them. But this morning, like the bumper said, all truth comes from God even if it's from a source like a kid's book, Dr. Seuss' book. Uh, and this morning we're going to be talking about Horton. And like I said, Horton is in Horton Hatches, or excuse me, Horton Hears a Who, but my favorite Dr. Seuss book, or one of my favorites, is Horton Hatches an Egg. And uh, so I don't know if you've heard that or read that one before, but this is kind of the story behind Horton Hatches an Egg, all right? So there's this bird, and her name is Maisie, which also is the name of my basset hound, but not because of this. Um, but uh, So the bird's name is Maisie, and Maisie is sitting on her egg in a nest, and she gets tired of sitting on this egg, and she just wants a vacation. She just wants to go fly away and go do something like all parents do at some point. Like, just let me get out of this house, right? Um, so Maisie just wants to get away. And, and finally, Horton comes walking along, and she's like, oh, Horton can you please sit on my egg so that I can have a break? I just need to go away for a little bit. Can you please sit on my egg? And Horton's like, I'm an elephant. Why would I? I can't sit on your egg, let alone I can't get up in the tree. So anyway, Horton, she, she convinces Horton, and eventually he does, and uh, he sits on the egg. He says, listen, I will sit on the egg for you until you come back, all right? That, I'm just, I'll, I'll, I'll do that for you. And he makes, he, he, he makes that happen for her. But what happens is Maisie goes on vacation, and then she stays away. She never comes back. Maisie flies away, and she just kind of says, you know what? I like this free life. And so she, she flies away, and Horton is left there on this nest for all the animals to come by and say, look, that's an elephant in a tree. Ha ha, right? Nobody, like, why would an elephant be in a tree? And they make fun of Horton, and Horton is sitting there through all of the nasty weather, the harsh winter. Uh, he's sitting there because he said he was going to do this. And so he's going to do it. He's, he's, he's going to sit there and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And then some hunters come along and some hunters are they're hunting elephants and they see Horton and they're going to shoot him. But then they realize, you know what, we can get a lot of more money out of this thing if we dig up this tree and we take him and we sell him to the circus. So they end up selling Horton to the circus and, and Horton's getting all this attention. People are coming to see Horton and they're kind of laughing at him because it's an elephant in a tree and all this stuff. Meanwhile, 
Maisie Bird is flying over and she goes, ah, a circus. I'd like to go see the circus. And so she flies down in and sees Horton sitting on her nest, getting all of this attention. And she's like, you know what? That's my egg. That's my nest. Like, and so, so she wants that attention. And she, she says, you know what? You've got to give me, give me that attention and, and all that kind of stuff. And they argue about it. And eventually, while they're arguing, the egg starts to crack. And out pops the elephant bird that, that is Horton's, right? Because Horton has been taking care of this thing. And the line that Dr. Seuss writes is, he says, it should be. It should be. It should be like that. Right? It should be that Horton put in the work, he put in the time, and that the justice would be that he gets the reward of having the, the bird, the elephant bird, is his child, and he gets to go, and they live happily ever after and all that. All right? So there's a lot of morals in this book. Okay? And you can take a lot of things out of this book. The first one you could take out is don't be lazy like Maisie. Right? Just get up and do the things that you're supposed to be doing. So don't be lazy. The second one is kind of more of a wish, and we just talked about it. It's more of a wish of like, it should be like that. That line, it should be. It should be like that. That when you do work, when you put in the effort, when you spend your time and you're faithful to what you say you're going to be, well, then the reward should be yours, right? It's kind of a wish because that's not really the way the world works all the time, but that's kind of a thing there. And then finally, the third thing is this, and it's summarized in one line that Horton says, and he says it multiple times. I think he even says it in Horton Hears a Who or something like it. He says, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant is faithful 100%, right? So that's going to be our jumping off point, okay? We're not going to preach the book of Horton. Um, uh, we're going to preach the, the word of God, the book of God, um, but... It's, it's, we're going to use these stories as a jumping off point, as a launching point. And so Horton says, listen, I made an agreement. This is what I said I'm going to do. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to stick true to what I said I'm going to do, regardless of what it costs me. Now, you can take this in a lot of different directions scripturally. One of the first places that popped in my mind is when I was thinking about this is, is Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is kind of going through these things. And one of the things he says is, uh, he says, don't swear an oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? Let your yes be yes and your no. In other words, if you have to make a promise for somebody to believe you, then what does your word mean all the rest of the time, right? And so he's just saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and then people will know if you say yes or if you say you're going to do something, then you're going to do it. So that, that's it, right? That would be the easiest place to go with this. I like to make, make life complicated. So we uh, are going to go to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to read some scripture about Abraham, and it's a familiar story uh, if you've been in church. If you're not, we're going to read it. And listen, I want you to know that you guys got off easy. Last week, we read four verses of scripture. Where is this thing? Did it fly on me? Where's JD when you need him to hit you with his hat, right? That stupid bug. All right. Um, but we, we got off easy last week. We read four verses, so there's a lot more verses than four this week. Um, so we're going to read some, we'll summarize some, and we'll go back and forth. But you can follow along on the screen. It's Genesis 22, and, uh, or you can follow along if you've got a Bible or a device. Let's go there, all right? So Genesis 22, starting with verse 2, it says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. He's talking to Abraham. And he says, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Stop right there. What? Take your son. It's like God is stretching this thing. I was like, hey, take your son. Your only son. Oh, yeah, that one that you love. Like, take your son, that thing that is precious to you, most precious to you, and go sacrifice him on a mountain. Like, 
Human sacrifice? Really? Is that what we're going to talk about? Human sacrifice. All right. So human sacrifice. Um, and, uh, and so Abraham, but Abraham, he just gets up. It says the next morning, Abraham got up, he cut some wood, he got his donkey, he put the wood on his donkey, he got some servants, he got his son Isaac, and they headed off to go to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, right? I mean, that's, it's crazy. Um, but they do it, and they get there, and it says when they travel for three days, and when they get to the place where they can see the mountain, Abraham stops, and he, said, he takes the wood off the donkey, and, uh, and, and he tells his servants, all right, you guys stay here. Isaac and I are going to go up to the mountain and we're going to sacrifice. So verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac's like, uh, am I missing something? What's... We're going to go make a sacrifice. What, where, where's the thing we're going to sacrifice? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham stops. God stops him. He stops. And he looks and he sees in the, in the thicket, in the bushes, a ram that's caught um, that happens to be there. How they didn't see it before, I don't know. I would guess that it wasn't there before God put it there. But there's a, there's a ram there, so he takes that ram and he sacrifices the ram instead. Verse 15, it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This story is, it's outside my box, right? It's, it's one of those, I, I, there's a lot of biblical stories that I can like put myself into. I can find a character I, ident I identify with and I just, you know, I can see myself and I've got, this is not one of those. Like what God is asking of Abraham, it's, I just can't imagine it, right? I just cannot put myself in that position, and you have to remember this whole story is about Abraham who God chose out of all the people who were left on the earth or who, have, who were back on the earth after Noah. Out of all of those people, God chose Abraham for this purpose. He, chose, he called Abraham and said, listen, I'm going to give you a son or I'm going to give you descendants. Even though you're old, even though your wife Sarah is old, I'm going to give you descendants and, and the whole world is going to be blessed. And this is that son. This is the one, Isaac. And God says, take him and sacrifice him. What? Like, I, I just, why would, why would you ask that of me, God? When you promised this, why would you ask me that? It's, it's absolutely ludicrous for us. Even the whole scenario, human sacrifice, 
is ludicrous for us, right? It's outside of what we know, but for Abraham, it may not have been that far outside. We know that when, when the law of Moses came along, there were some prohibitions against human sacrifice or child sacrifice. So it was obviously happening. I don't know if it was happening back with Abraham, but I would have to think that it was. So not to our God, right? Not to God, but to other gods. But this idea of human sacrifice, Abraham doesn't bat an eye, says the next day, the next morning, he got up. And when they get to the mountain, Abraham ties up his son. What was that like? Is he kicking? Is he screaming? Is he figuring out what's going on here, right? What did that do to their relationship later on in life, right? But he ties up his son, he lays him on the altar, and he grabs the knife to slaughter his son. That's a level of commitment of, I guess, a faith of crazy, we would call it, right? That I don't know. I don't know what you call it, but it fits with the other stuff that we know about Abraham because we know that Abraham was faithful. We know that he was a faithful man. So let's tie it back to Dr. Seuss this morning, right? I got three words that I want to look at to tie, to tie this thing in. And the first is faith, the faith, okay? Abraham was a man of faith. To be faithful, you have to have faith. Literally, look at the word. Faithful. You take out the word faith and you're full of something, but it's not faith, right? Faithful. I meant what I said and I said what I meant. Abraham was faithful 100%, right? Abraham is a man who walked in faith. We might even say to the level of lunacy, right? To the level of crazy that we're trying to figure out here. Um, But he heard God, God spoke to him, and he did what God said. He obeyed. He did the things that God said. We even know from Hebrews chapter 11, if you look there, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. So Abraham was a man of faith. He did things because God told him to do them. He heard God and he obeyed. He did them. He didn't even know where he was going when God called him. He had never seen that land. He didn't know those people. And God said, Abraham, I want you to go to this promised land, and I want you to live a nomadic life. I want you to live in a tent. Like, you don't even have a home. Just go live there. And he did it. So this act of faith really kind of fits with what we know about Abraham and about his, his personality and his trust and his belief in God. He is full of faith. We even see it a couple of more times in this story. Um, some, some things that popped out to me. It says that after... After they traveled for three days, this whole interaction is weird to me. After they traveled for three days, first of all, why are you traveling for three days uh, away from home when you go make a sacrifice? I think because you got to get away from mama if you're going to sacrifice your son, right? Um, No, because God told him this specific mountain. Um, So he goes to Mount Moriah, but they travel for three days, and then they stop short of it. And the donkey that they brought along to carry the stuff, and the servants that they brought along to carry the stuff, I would guess, or make the journey with them, whatever. They stop, and, they, and Abraham says, you stay here. Why would he do that? You guys stay here. We're going to go make a sacrifice. And I don't have any, like, specific uh, inspiration for this, or God didn't drop this in my lap. But as I was thinking about this, it's like, Abraham knows what he's going to do. 
He's going up there and he's making this sacrifice. Like that is in his mind. He's going to do this. He's determined to do it. I don't think he wants any other options, right? He's not going to take the donkey. I don't think you sacrifice donkeys, but he's not going to take the donkey so he can't sacrifice a donkey instead of his son, Isaac. He's not going to take the servants because he, he's not going to offer them. You know, well, listen, if God wants human sacrifice, maybe he'll accept a servant. I mean, that's going to cost me something, right? He doesn't want any other options. And he doesn't want somebody there to stop him from doing what God asked him to do. So he leaves his servants there with the donkey. I don't know. I think that's an act. Of, I think those are acts of faith. Like, listen, God told me to do this. God asked me to do this. I'm just going to go and I'm going to do this. As strange as it is, as crazy as it is, God, I'm going to go. But then there's that one little line when Isaac says, hey, Dad, where's the, where's the lamb? Where, what are we going to sacrifice? Abraham's response is, God will provide the sacrifice for himself. God will provide it. Not God has provided it, as in you, Isaac, but God will provide. And I don't know if there's something there or not, but, but there's part of me that says, you know what? Abraham is walking up on this mountain, and he is fully intent on going and doing this thing, and yet he's also going, you know what? God will provide. God will provide. It, it reminds me kind of, of, of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. When they're in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, um, uh, they, they refuse to bow down to this idol. And Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? If you don't go in there, or if you don't bow down, you're going to get thrown into this furnace and you're going to die. And they said, you know what? We believe that our God is going to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your idol. It's like we believe God's going to provide a way out. But even if he doesn't we're still going to remain true. And that's what Abraham is saying. It's like, I believe God's going to provide another way out, but even if he doesn't, I'm still going to do what he asks because there's got to be something behind this. I don't know. There seems to be a touch of that. But Abraham was a man of faith, okay? And that's usually where we leave this story, right? This is about Abraham and Abraham being faithful, 100%, not questioning, just doing what God's asking to do. And because he is faithful, God says, because you have done this, I will bless you and I will bless the world through your descendants. All because Abraham was faithful. That's where we leave this thing. But is that really how it works? Is that really what was going on? Who was faithful? Well, Abraham was, certainly. He definitely was. But I think there's more here. So we're going to look at the test, all right? The test. Verse 1, which I, I realize now we didn't actually read. We started in verse 2. But verse 1 says that God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham in this way. It was a test of Abraham's faith. Well, what was he testing? It was a way to see if Abraham trusted God in this way, right? It was a test that would reveal something about Abraham and, and, and God's relationship. Because that's what tests do, right? Tests reveal something Whatever the results are, they reveal it. So you talk about school. If you take a test, your teacher gives you a test, the test is there to reveal whether you know enough to pass this course or not, right? So it reveals something about whatever you're being tested on. So if it's a driver's license test, it reveals whether you know enough to pass the test and drive safely on the road. We test, we have all kinds of tests, right? We, we test water quality, like what are we drinking? Let's, let's, the test reveals what is in the water. What are we putting in our body in that way? We take tests to reveal what kind of personality we are, right? 
Shout out to the, all, all the INFJs out there. Anybody? Myers-Briggs? Anybody? Okay. Um, I think that's like the smallest sliver of personality type, but that's me. Um, we take driver's test to see if we know enough to be safe on the road. We take ridiculous quizzes on Facebook to see what kind of Disney princess we are, right? <laughs> Little Mermaid, I don't know. All right? We take tests all the time, and they reveal things, right? That's what tests do. I had a, a professor in, uh, in my undergrad who was famous for her tests and not in a good way. Um, she would hand out a study guide before every major test. So it was a midterm or it was a final or whatever. There was always a study guide. And we would get that thing, and it's like, I mean, for like a college student, you're like, study guide, yes, please, tell me all the things I need to know that are going to be on this test, right? Absolutely, that's a great thing to have, um, And she would make the study guide based on the lectures and stuff that we talked about in class, which was great because then you could pay less attention in class Um, But because you knew what you had to study then at the end. But her tests were always on the material that was in the books and the readings. Never what we talked about in class, which is what the study guide was on, right? And so what her test revealed was that nobody actually did the readings that we were supposed to do in class. Like, that's, that's what they revealed. And, and, but that's what tests do. Tests reveal things. They reveal the, 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 the results reveal things to us. So what was Abraham's test re- designed to reveal? Was it Abraham's faithfulness? Maybe. But let's ask this. Let's go back and say, well, who was the test for? Okay. When we take a test in school, it's so that the teacher knows whether we have learned enough to move forward, right? Or whether we can, we, we, how, how well we know this stuff. Did we learn the things that we needed to learn in order to pass the course? The teacher is finding out if the student is worthy of passing, essentially. The test reveals that, theoretically. But God testing Abraham? Think about the test. Did God really need to test Abraham to know if Abraham was faithful? Did God God need something to reveal to him whether Abraham was faithful or not? No. Think about, like, my my text, or as I was writing my notes, as I was studying for this passage in verse 12, that says, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know. And I circled that, and I underlined it, and I highlighted it, and I wrote out beside it, Really? Like, now you know God? You didn't know that before? No, absolutely. God knew. So what, who was the test for then? The test was for Abraham. The test wasn't for God. The test was for Abraham, for Abraham's benefit. And what did the test reveal? Sure, it showed that Abraham, it, it told him, it showed him, listen, you're serious about this thing. You, you, you trust God. You're faithful to God. Sure, Abraham saw that. But I think more importantly, this test was not so that God could see if Abraham was faithful. The test was so that Abraham would see that God is faithful, 100%. The test for Abraham proved that God was faithful, Testing from God, which, by the way, is totally different than tempting, temptation. Scripture says that God doesn't tempt us. But the testing from God is about God, is not about God knowing if we're worthy or not. We're not. We know that. We're not. End of story. Never will be. Abraham 
was not faithful 100%. Sure, he, he was a man of faith. Sure, he walked in faith. But when God told him that his wife, Sarah, who was 90 years old, 90 plus years old, who, and barren up to that point was going to have a child, he laughed. He laughed in God's face. Because he had already been impatient. He had already had a son with, uh, uh, with Sarah's slave because he was trying to move this thing along. All right, God, you're not, you're not doing this fast enough, right? Let's, let's move this thing along. So he wasn't faithful 100%. Abraham had his faults, right? So who was the test for then? If it, if, if it, or what is the test for? If it's not for us to see, uh, uh, or if it's not for God to see how we do, look at James 1. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, trials, tests, same thing, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Testing is not about God seeing if we're going to make the cut. Testing is about us seeing that God has already done it. Testing of our faith means stretching us into situations where we're put in this situation and we're asking God, all right, God, are you going to make this? Are you going to do this? Are you going to come through? Because you said you were going to. Now, are you going to do it on the end, right? That's, that's the test. That's the stretch. Are you going to do it? And when we get through that and we see that God is faithful to what he said he was going to do 100% of the time, that builds perseverance because the next time a test, a trial rolls around, it's like, you know what? God met me yesterday. God can meet me today and he can meet me tomorrow because God is faithful 100%. Do you get it? Let's ask, let me ask you this. What if this scenario really was a toss-up? What if God really didn't know what Abraham was going to choose? What if he didn't know that he was going to be faithful? Was, was the whole balance of what God had promised Abraham, was that resting on this little tiny point, this one decision, this little pinnacle? Because you've got to remember what the promise was. The promise was that the whole world would be blessed through his descendants. And that's Jesus. So is Jesus coming for the salvation of the world, resting on Abraham, deciding, am I going to be faithful to God or not? Yes or no. Abraham has choice, right? But God knows what Abraham is going to do. God knows that he's going to be faithful. But what if it wasn't? Is God up there wringing his hands going, oh, man, I hope Abraham gets this one right. We put a lot of work into this thing, a lot of history here, a lot of people. What if he doesn't do it? What if Abraham says, no, God, you're crazy. I am not going up there and slaughtering my son. I will not do that. Does that send God back to the drawing board and, well, we made a good effort, boys. We'll try again. We'll, we'll choose somebody else, right? Do you, see, do you see the point? Like, God knew Abraham because he knew who Abraham was when he called him in the first place, way back in the beginning, we don't have that kind of power. We cannot thwart the plans of God. We're not that big. God knew who Abraham was when he called him from the very beginning of this whole thing. That's why he chose Abraham. This test was not so that God could see if Abraham trusted him. God knew who Abraham was. But did God or did Abraham really know who God was? That's what this is about. Because God is faithful. 
He is faithful 100%. Listen to these words, and we can talk about it later if you want, but listen to them. Ready? God is not depending on you in order for him to be faithful. God is not depending on you for God to be faithful. God is faithful 100% even when we're not. Romans 3, 3 and 4 says, what if, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. What about 2 Timothy 2, 13? If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He cannot disown himself. I love that. Because you know what God says to Abraham? God says, by myself I have sworn. By myself I have sworn. God swore by himself because there is nothing greater for him to swear by. Hebrews 6, when it's still talking about this interaction between uh, Abraham and God, verse 16 says, People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And the oath that he made was by himself because there's nothing greater than himself. God swore on himself. God made a promise on himself. And he did it to show the unchanging, do you hear that? The unchanging nature of his promise. God's not going to change because you make a bad decision. God's faithful 100%. He's depending on himself you have to know that when God made this promise, he made, he, he made this promise, and any promise he makes us or to you, God knows the beginning to the end. So he knows. He makes that promise knowing all of that. It's not outside of him. He makes that promise knowing all of that, knowing all the decisions you'll, wake, you'll make, not predetermined for you, but he knows all the decisions that you're going to make. He knows what you're going to choose. Isn't that a relief? It should be. It should be a relief. God says he's going to do something, then it's done. He's going to do it. You can trust him in that. He's faithful 100%. And we get caught up in this cycle of, well, what if I don't do it right, God? What if I don't do it right? What if I choose the wrong thing? What do you, what do you? God knows. He is faithful 100%. God's not depending on you to do it right in order for him to be faithful. God is depending on God in order for him to be faithful. And that's 100%. It never fails. And what's so exciting about this whole story is that it's not just a story for Abraham. It's not just a story for Jewish people. This is a story that is a for, the, the third word is the foreshadowing, right? This is a story that is foreshadowing Jesus. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son that he loved. And God stopped him because he knew that Abraham would go through with it. He stopped him. But nobody stopped God when he made that sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the son that he loved. Do you see it? The test for Abraham showed that God was faithful 100% to his promise that he had made. And Jesus' sacrifice showed 
that God is faithful 100% to the creation that he loved and that he wanted to redeem into relationship with him. God is faithful 100% and it depends on him. By himself he has sworn and that's unchangeable. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God said it. He's going to do it, right? It's done. He will forgive our sins. And he's not depending on us being worthy of the forgiveness of that sin. He's depending on him. It depends on him. He's done the work. If we confess our sins, he is faithful for to, give, to forgive. And if he forgives our sins, what happens to him? Psalm 103 says there is far from the east is to the west. That's infinite. They're not coming back. Micah 719 says he will trample our iniquities and he'll put them on the ocean floor. That's how far our sin is, right? It's gone. It's gone. He is faithful 100%. Our sin and our sin nature is what stands between us and God. And if it's forgiven and if it's gone, what stands between us and God? Nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. Because when God forgives, he's not depending on us being worthy of forgiveness. He's depending on him in Jesus Christ. He's not depending on us being faithful for him to fulfill his promise of forgiveness. When we're forgiven, we're forgiven, past, present, future. It's done. It's done. And he's depending on himself for it. And he's done it because he loves you. And when he said he loves you, he said what he meant and he meant what he said. And he's faithful 100%. My God is faithful 100%. Do you know what it is to have a relationship with God? A relationship with Jesus? I feel like there's somebody here who wants a relationship with Jesus but doesn't feel like they're worthy of it. You're right. You're not worthy of it. None of us are. But in Jesus, God is faithful 100% to forgive all that makes us unworthy of it and bring us into relationship with him. Why don't you all stand up to your feet? The best part about this is that you don't have to have it together. He's got it together. He's done it, and he's depending on him. And he's just waiting on you to say yes. It's really simple. If you want a relationship with Jesus, you just say yes, right? You just say yes. That's the start of it. I just say yes. If you want to ask the forgiveness of your sins to become a son or a daughter of the king this morning, you just say yes. We don't normally do it this way, but I'm going to this morning. I'm going to lead us in a really super, super, super simple prayer. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you get to stand there and say yes. And you can just repeat the prayer to yourself for me or with me as I pray it. So we're all going to close our eyes. We're all going to bow our heads. And I'm going to pray this prayer. 
you want a relationship with Jesus, say these words with me. Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I give you my life. I want a relationship with you. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. Amen. That's it. That's all you got to do. It's that simple. And then as we live, we ask the Holy Spirit, change me from within. But you know what? Somebody brought it up in small group this week. The point of this is not to make us good. The point of this is relationship with Jesus. The point is relationship with Jesus. And he will, cre- he, will, he will do the work in us. He will perfect us. He will make us, he will create in us a new thing. We're new when we're, when we're brought in into the kingdom. We're made new. It's a new nature. Our sin nature is gone. Now we have the nature of Jesus, right? That's the Holy Spirit's work. But the point is relationship with the Father, relationship with Jesus. And he's faithful 100%. If you prayed that prayer this morning, there's going to be some people at the back who want to talk with you about that. We've got a Bible for you. We want to start that process of you following Jesus. Because he's faithful 100%. The rest, there's going to be a couple more prayer people that come up here to the front. And if you need prayer for anything else this morning, if you need ministry for anything else, if you need, if you need healing, if you're looking for a job, if you're saying, God, what's next? God, I need some direction. Whatever you want prayer for, these people are up here and want to pray with you. You can do that. At the back, if you, may, if you prayed that prayer, at the front, if you want ministry in some other way. And sing two more songs. So you can move at any time. Thanks. Hey, this is Pastor Justin from Capital Vineyard Community Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. Thanks for listening to our weekly message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at capitalvineyard.org or on social media at at Cap Vineyard. Thanks for listening and God bless.